Welcome to the podcast, everybody. <laughs> um, so I guess, yeah, we can go ahead and get started. To Queering Ability, a podcast from the Coalition for Sexuality and Gender Identities and the Coalition for Disability. In this endeavor, we hope to amplify the voices of queer individuals with a disability or who identify as having different abilities. Furthermore, these individuals are student affairs practitioners, researchers, higher education faculty, and higher education administrators. This space is meant to highlight, honor, and celebrate their stories navigating the intersections. Today, we are excited to have Ariel Clark join us. Ariel is a 26-year-old post-MBA millennial in higher education at the University of Louisville in Louisville, Kentucky. She works in their campus housing department as their coordinator of technology administration, overseeing all technology for the professional staff and all cable and internet services for all residents. Ariel is a black, LGBTQ, polyamorous cis woman. According to the Americans with Disabilities Act, Ariel was considered disabled due to her diagnoses of post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, major depressive disorder, and generalized anxiety disorder. Welcome to Queering Ability. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yes, I'm, I'm finally glad that, that we are able to get everything to work and get you on the podcast. So, <laughs> Right. The rain, sleet, or snow, right? <laughs> yeah, so um, for those that are listening, my name is Spencer Scruggs, and I serve as the membership engagement coordinator with the Coalition for Disability. And uh, also, uh, if you've listened to one of our previous episodes, Episodes, you will know that one of our hosts, uh, Wayne Glass, is currently not on the call today. He unfortunately couldn't make it, which is okay. We will continue and miss him dearly. Um, but uh, with that being said, uh, why don't you briefly introduce yourself? Uh, I know we already sort of introduced you, but uh, tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and your work and and uh, why you're interested in, in telling your story on the podcast. Yeah, sure. So um, like my bio said a little bit, I am 26 years old and I work in higher education, particularly in housing and residence life. Um, the reason that I got into higher education and housing and residence life was actually by accident. Um, I needed a job when I was an undergrad and the housing office at the undergraduate institution I worked at was hiring. And I took the job because I really, really needed money. And I haven't really looked back since. Um, I started to slowly discover how much housing can change students for the better. And I made a lot of really great relationships while I was in housing, not just with my coworkers, like my fellow student workers, but also with the residents and outside vendors and different things like that. And so I got into housing at around 2010 and I haven't looked back since. Um, right now I am their coordinator of technology administration. So I play with computers all day and I talk to vendors about internet and cable and I update software and all that good stuff. So I'm basically just a nerd. So, <laughs> so um, 
It's been a very interesting and very amazing life experience to work in housing, but kind of tying that in with this podcast, the reason I wanted to go on this podcast is because when people think of higher education, a lot of people imagine like a, a white, cis, straight, able-bodied man, and it's, it's particularly in my field where it's essentially IT. So essentially, I, I am the IT person for housing. And so when people are talking about me and they say, oh, let me introduce you to, to our coordinator for technology administration, they think, oh, this older, white, cis, able-bodied, straight male is going to walk through the door and I'm going to have to shake his hand and be friendly. And then I turn the corner as a black, young, cis, disabled, polyamorous, LGBT person, and they're always taken aback. And at first, it was very intimidating to be with d different really big power players in the room and having this really like unique amalgamation of identities. But then I began to realize that what I have is a gift, and some days are hard, some days are really hard. And at the same time, I have this amazing opportunity to share my story and to inspire others and create a path for people. And so the reason I wanted to be on this podcast is because I have an opportunity to teach people, to educate people, and to be visible for folks who may be in higher education who feel like they're not. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me and why I wanted to be on the podcast and my history with higher ed. Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing that. <clears throat> Considering... Particularly, um, you know, one of the points that you had brought up is is challenging these these um, the hegemony of of uh, privilege and privileged mm -hmm. identities and 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 that sort of thing in in spaces within higher education itself. We often think of, or sometimes we think of higher education as as you know the one the one place where where some of those identities are celebrated but you know on a daily basis we still you know um we still can encounter um that uh, uh, systemic oppression and, mm -hmm. and hegemony on on a daily basis and so i'm curious could you maybe explain a little bit about how you navigate your identities within the frame of campus housing within the frame mm -hmm. of the the institution you know mm -hmm. um with whatever you're comfortable sharing with us sure it's the same way that i navigate through this world and i'm going to be completely honest the world is not made for a person of my identity um particularly in the united states and particularly in higher education, it's made more for, you know, white, cis, able-bodied men. And that's just how it has been in America. That's just the power structure that we have. And that's just how politics work based on the history of like slavery and different things of that nature. And so navigating my way through this world can be difficult at times. But the way that I navigate is my ancestors before me beat these paths out for me for a reason. And so I can travel these paths and I can be on the same playing field as my white male counterparts because of my ancestors. And if my ancestors hadn't beaten out a path for me, then I definitely wouldn't be where I am today. And so I navigate through this world with the constant thought of what path can I beat out for the people who come after me? And so basically what that means is, yes, while it is extremely intimidating to be a 26-year-old in what's deemed like a highly technical field with a lot of really expert people and a lot of knowledge and a lot of different things that you have to learn, I'm also surrounded by all of these white, straight, male counterparts and all of that. At the same time, 
the fact that I have been able to be on the same playing field, if not higher than my white male counterparts, makes me very proud and it helps me hold my head up while I navigate through this world. And so the same way I navigate through the world is how I navigate through higher education and how I navigate through campus housing. So our particular department, the majority of folks are um, – I want to say from precursory glance, like white, white, straight women. And so while having these women around me is amazing, I'm still polyamorous. I'm still black. I'm still LGBTQ and I'm still disabled. And so while those differences don't come up very obviously in conversation, you always know in the back of your head that they're going to be there. And so that is a little bit of the privilege of those of the other people showing because they don't think about those things. They just think, oh, another woman, that's great. But for me, it's like, oh, another woman, but I'm still black. I'm still polyamorous. I'm still disabled and I'm still LGBTQ. And so I always carry those thoughts in the back of my head and I don't see them as setbacks. I try not to anyway. But for me, I use these unique identities as a way to basically uh teach people essentially so i work my way the world knowing that my ancestors fought this hard for me to get this far and i'm going to keep fighting and the way that i fight is i don't let my disabilities hold me back i don't let my identities hold me back and i actually in fact use those to educate people and to call people out if they're incorrect and so i basically navigate through this world pushing forward and educating to make sure that the people that come after me can do even better things than i can Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sort of curious how, you know, you've mentioned um, or you were very generous in, in, in sharing with us your, your particular disabilities and, and whatnot. How do you feel that those, um, those disabilities and the um, mm -hmm. the realities of those disabilities uh, affect your daily work um, and how mm -hmm. you navigate navigate the world. For me professionally, it has been a very new experience navigating through that. So my diagnosis of PTSD is actually very recent. I was diagnosed with it about two years ago, and so. I've always had major depressive disorder. I've had it since I was about 11, and I've always had generalized anxiety disorder that was around 11 years old as well. In the past, with previous jobs and careers and different things like that, I haven't been as open or not open at all about my diagnoses. And so with all of these diagnoses and all of the symptoms that come along with it, there are days when I wake up and I'm like, I do not want to get out of bed today because I'm so depressed or my PTSD gets triggered by an event that happens the day before, or I see something that reminds me of a traumatic event, or I'm just really, really anxious about something that day. Um, I have a big meeting with a bunch of stakeholders or I have a performance review. I have to navigate my work-life balance very carefully because there are a lot of things that could make my depression and anxiety flare up. For example, I always have to make sure that I get enough sleep at night. And so I can't pull all-nighters like I used to in undergrad. I can't run on four to five hours of sleep because if I don't get enough rest, my depression acts up and I cannot I can't function. I go into depressive spirals that last anywhere from one to three days where I don't get out of bed. I don't have motivation to work. I don't have motiva motivation to take care of myself. And so 
in terms of day-to-day life and working, there are days when I go to work and I go, I am too depressed to be here, or I just experienced a triggering event and I can't be here. And the challenge with that was that I had to be completely open and honest with my supervisor and I didn't know how they would take it. And so I remember I sat in a one-on-one one day with my supervisor at the time and I said, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I have these diagnoses and there are days when I do not want to come to work and it's nothing physical. I'm not nauseous. I don't have a headache or anything like that, but I just don't want to come to work because I am just so depressed. And they were very, very supportive. And I'm just now at this point, I've told so many people that people are just essentially comfortable with it or know that that is a thing that exists in my life. And so the reason that I'm so open with it is because it affects my work so much. And so people can tell when I'm depressed or when my anxiety is really bad or when my PTSD is really bad because my work performance. I also, from like a logistical standpoint, have filed Family Medical Leave Act paperwork and things like that. And so I highly recommend that if that's an option for you, I would talk to your human resources department. I would also talk to any of your healthcare providers about that option as well. Navigating day to day in a more holistic view, like getting my work done, you know, going to meetings and things like that, I do have to practice a lot of self care and calming techniques to make sure that I am okay to keep performing. And so if I get a communication or I experience something that makes my depression act up or my anxiety, I have to use calming techniques that I learn in therapy to make sure that I can power through the rest of the day. But I also have to know my limit and say, you know, I'm trying to power through. I can't do it. If I push myself anymore, it's going to make it worse. And so in in short, navigating through the day to day is just being honest and open about my diagnoses (laughs) and making sure that I take care of myself and make sure that I'm very in tune and aware of my mental health and how I'm feeling that day. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I I think it's so, so important to recognize um, that, uh, you know, in general, I think when, you know, when we think about disability, it, it often comes from the perspective of a, uh, from the visibility of the disability. Right. So, you know, mm-hmm. um, thinking about physical disabilities and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and the fact that there are, you know, a lot of individuals out there that present physically as not having this, this typical notion that mm-hmm. society has come to accept as a disability, but despite that fact, you know, individuals struggle on a daily basis with mm-hmm. their different disabling conditions and, and how that affects their work. And I think it, it's really important for individuals like yourself. And, and I'm very thankful that you all have the opportunity to share those struggles so that people mm-hmm. can, can understand that there's other people out there going through through you know similar struggles and and that sort of thing and and mm-hmm. and sharing that strength so right i uh how do you th- do you think that higher education um as a field is very accepting of those um 
those needs and and um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm blanking on the word here. Uh, basically, you know, do you feel like higher education is very accepting of of those needs, or do you think that we still have um, a significant mm-hmm. way to go um, in terms of? Well- Mm-hmm. Opening those opening spaces and opportunities for individuals to share um, mm-hmm. and to or to share their skills with the field um, while holding different abilities. Right. So I can only speak from the lens of student affairs and having invisible disabilities. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to make really generalized statements about higher ed in general because I haven't touched all of higher ed. So from the from the lens of a person with invisible disabilities who works in student affairs and has worked in student affairs, I think that we have made great strides in the acceptance of accommodations for people with invisible disabilities. From my personal experience, I have had nothing but amazing support and I've had nothing but amazing feedback and opportunities for growth and for making sure that I can be the best that I can be because at the institutions where I've worked and the departments that I've worked in, it wasn't always, it wasn't just about getting the work done. It was making sure the person who was doing the work was okay so that the work was its best. And so for me personally, I think we're doing an amazing job. I think that um, student affairs and higher education is doing a fantastic job with supporting any and all of the folks who may have invisible disabilities, who may need accommodations, or who may just need a little bit more understanding when it comes to their work performance or their work-life balance. I, you know, again, I I come from a perspective of actually working with students with disabilities. So Mm -hmm. I think I would definitely agree in saying that in general, I feel like student affairs practitioners um, in one way or another, have some sort of inkling um, or skill set or um, uh, propensity towards the mm-hmm. um, looking at individuals from the holistic perspective and mm-hmm. <clears throat> and accepting those different needs and those different um, abilities and making you know, our own adjustments and challenging um, norms within our work and living spaces mm-hmm. uh, to include others and to making sure that um, we create um, equitable and inclusive spaces. So right. I, I would agree mm-hmm. in general. I, I am curious that um, how exactly you feel your disabilities and your other mm-hmm. identities influence each other and mm-hmm. interact with each other and um, uh, come together to create you, you know? Right. So it's really interesting that you ask that because that is actually kind of like the topic that I've been discussing with my therapist recently in my mm-hmm. therapy appointments because I am s- still in the very, like, in the very grand scheme of things, I'm still a black woman, but then I'm also poly and LGBT and have invisible disabilities and things. And so I have moments in my life um, where I sit back and I'm like, oh God, not only am I black, but I'm also all of these other minorities and all of these other alternative lifestyles, quote unquote. I hate that phrase, but that's what people call it sometimes. And I sit and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just making my life difficult for myself. And so, so I feel like 
constantly all the time, I'm like tacking on these new identities that are super unique and like not the norm, quote unquote. And I sit and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to make myself more and more oppressed until I'm like in the ground. And so it's really interesting to think about the intersectionality of all of my identities because they do influence one another because I'm not just poly, I'm black and poly. I'm black and poly and LGBT. I'm black and poly and LGBT and disabled. I'm black and poly and LGBT and disabled and a female and all of these other things. And they all intertwine with each other in the sense that they make me whom I am. And so it also influences like the people I choose to interact with or the kind of support that I look for. And so in Louisville, um, some people may not know, there's a very large polyamory community. And I was super pumped about that when I came out as polyamorous. I came out in December. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to go out and be part of the polyamory community. And I remember... I joined like a Facebook group. It's like the Louisville Polyamory Society. And I was like, yeah, I'm so excited to network and get to know people. And I went through the members and 99.9% of them were white and the majority of them were straight. And so I was like, this is, this is okay, but I would really like to have some black LGBT poly influence, you know, and then even when I go out to LGBT events, um, when I go to pride festivals and different things like that, the majority of the crowd is white. And so I sit and I think about my blackness and my existence of my blackness in these spaces. And then when I go to primarily black functions or when I go to primarily black like areas or meetups or different things like that, a lot of them are straight or a lot of them are monogamous or just other things like that. And so I'm always trying to find my niche in the world because my intersections of identities make me such a unique individual. And while, yes, it can be difficult sometimes because it's like we were so close. We almost got there. Like I've met a black LGBTQ woman and I'm like, yes. And then she's like, I'm monogamous. And I'm like, we were so close. <laughs> and so I don't always feel a hundred percent solidarity, but when I do, it's the most amazing feeling in the world, but kind of in short, all of my identities influence each other because they make me whom I am. And then they all interact with each other because I know of all of my identities and I'm constantly searching for people who identify the way I identify, but I have to keep all of my identities in mind when I'm looking for those groups. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, I, mm -hmm. it's definitely interesting to, to hear, to hear the stories of individuals, particularly myself. I, I definitely identify mm -hmm. with, with that 99% that, is showing up to, um, you know, the pride festivals and, and that sort of thing, right. you know, um, white cis, um, individuals. And so I think, I think it's really important mm -hmm. to highlight that, um, there's so much more beyond those identities and that, um, they need a place and they need a, they need places in those spaces as well. Um, right. They, mm -hmm. you know, we need to embrace and open the community and find, you know, and, and educate, uh, others and, and, um, make room for everybody and celebrate, celebrate those, mm -hmm. um, those differences. So I appreciate you sharing that. So, mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious, we're going to sort of move on to, um, your work yourself. So, um, mm -hmm. what motivates you in your work? 
um, on a daily basis? What, you know, why, why student affairs? Why, um, mm-hmm. why, you know, um, the, the technology work that you do on a daily basis? Mm-hmm. Well, the reason that I do student affairs is because I fell into it and I fell in love with it. Um, when I started working housing, I saw the positive influence that it made on students. And there's not just research studies that have shown that um, because there's been studies and research that has proven that students who live in housing have higher GPAs, higher retention rates and better success transitioning into college, et cetera, et cetera. But I also have seen it from a holistic view. I have been, I guess, as you say, on the ground, looking directly at how it influences people. I lived in housing when I was an undergrad and it changed my life. I met so many new people and I was part of so many different student groups. And there were a lot of things that housing exposed me to that I didn't know existed. And then at the same time, I also was fortunate enough to have the other perspective of working for the housing department and seeing how we change students' lives. Because for some people, for some students, that literally is their home. Like for any, for some reason they can't go home. It's too far away or they're coming from a bad home situation, or maybe they don't have a home and they were wards of the state or in the, they're in the foster care system for them. This is their home. And if it weren't for housing and if it weren't for student affairs, that student wouldn't have been successful. That student wouldn't have gotten a degree. That student even would, wouldn't have even considered college in the first place. And so the reason that I went into student affairs is because I love seeing how we influence people and I love seeing all of the positive change that we make in student lives. As far as doing technology, it was more of a, of a selfish decision, honestly, because I love student affairs. Don't get me wrong. And I love working for the students and I love being able to make the students happy and give them what they need. But at the same time, I also need to make sure that I enjoy my job. And so technology has always been really fascinating to me. Like I, I grew up in the nineties. I was born in 1991. And so when MySpace was a big thing, I was was always messing around with like the HTML coding and different things like that. And I was always messing with computers growing up as a kid. And this position opened. And at the time I was actually doing housing assignments for the department. So I was, I was the lady that gave you where you were going to live for the next year. And so this position opened, I said, I have to, I have to have this because it's stuff that all, that I've always been interested in. I've always been interested in coding and database language and all of these really nerdy techie things. And I got the job and I was over the moon. And so I do this because it's one of the most amazing things I've ever done personally, because it challenges me every day. But at the same time, I also still get to change student lives. Like I make sure that students have internet so they can do their homework. I make sure that they have entertainment. I make sure that everything is going as smoothly as possible. Even though I'm like more in the background than I usually am, I make sure things are going as smoothly as possible so that they can have a successful academic experience while they're in college. And so I chose student affairs because it changed students' lives. I chose technology and student affairs because I think it's really fun and I still get to interact with students. Yeah, fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's that's um, a really powerful thing, I think. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Because I think we, I sometimes we, I you know I particularly have noticed that you know as I as I continue in my journey as as a new professional in the field that mm-hmm. sometimes we don't celebrate how the more um, administrative and um, 
tasky things that that we're doing um, support student learning and development. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we don't celebrate those, and we don't we, we don't highlight it. And so I'm I'm incredibly happy to hear you say that you know all of your work it has a significant, if not the most, you know impactful you know um experience for for these mm-hmm. students because without that internet they can't do their homework without right you know, um without those you know there's a student that you know potentially relies on some of those technology resources and and the internet mm-hmm. and, and the tv service and whatnot to make friends in the residence halls and and to mm-hmm. you know, do all of those things and so i think um very very impactful so um mm-hmm. so i'm i i am curious uh, we, you had um mentioned in a previous conversation about your um your life after work um mm-hmm. so what what sort of motive or what keeps you going rejuvenated in your work and, mm-hmm. and um how do you achieve you know that that balance if it does exist uh if it ever exists (laughs) Mm -hmm. right right so i am a big huge proponent of self-care and i'm fortunate to have the privilege of self-care and the running joke in student affairs is like work-life balance what's that because especially in housing because not only do we see these students academically but they literally sleep in our buildings like Working in housing is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week process of making sure the students are okay. Oh, no, we've had an incident. Oh, no, we have a facilities issue. Oh, no, the Internet's out or something along those lines. And so um, because of um, the FLSA, the Fair Labor Standards Act, something like that, um, I am technically salary, and so I do not make overtime. And so there will be days when I have to work on weekends and answer the phone after hours and do things like that. But I try really hard to once it hits 530, I'm I'm done. Unless it's an emergency, I am done. And so I don't answer email on weekends unless it's an emergency, which if it were an emergency, I would hope that you call me and not email me. But that's beside the point. Um, if I get a phone call regarding if I get a phone call from my super supervisor and I don't pick up and he doesn't leave a message half the time I don't call him back because obviously it wasn't important because I know my boss and I have that relationship to where if it's important and he calls me he will leave a voicemail or he will text me and say call me back ASAP or something like that and so I really try to push that work-life balance and I have been upfront and honest with him about my diagnosis and I have told him you know I need this work-life balance and I need this self-care time Otherwise, my mental health will suffer. And he understands that and he respects that. And I commend him for that. In terms of like what I do for fun to get rejuvenated on weekends and different things like that, I like trying new things. And so um, I love just going out and being like, I've never been here before. We should do this. Or I've never done that. We should try this. Um, Right now, I'm kind of on like a restaurant kick. Like I want to try new restaurants and then I want to try new activities. Like I've never been rock climbing before and I want to do rock climbing. And I want to travel to places I've never been to like that are somewhat local, like two to three hour drive away. And then... I also try to exercise as much as I can, and by as much as I can, I mean once a week. Um, So please don't think that I'm a fitness expert. 
in terms of things that I do at home, um, I have a cat. He is my whole entire world. And despite the fact that we're not the same species, I call him my son. And so I spend a lot of time with him and we cuddle on the couch and we watch Netflix and I unwind and we just spend a lot of time with each other. And he's my whole entire universe. And then I nap whenever I can. I love naps. Um, hot baths are great, hot tea. And then I try to go out and be social on weekends as much as I can. So I'll like go out for drinks with people or I'll just do something during the day. And, um, another thing that I actually do on the side that I'm really proud of is I actually am a part-time drag king. And so I don't do it on a regular basis, but I try to do it at least once or twice a month. So basically, um, if you are ever in Louisville and go to play Louisville in, I believe it's, I think, Nulu, Butchertown. I can't yeah, remember the name of the neighborhood, yeah, but moving. yeah. Yeah. And um, if you ever go and see a drag king named Leo the King, that's me. So, <laughs> and so I've discovered that that is one of my passions. And I absolutely love being on the stage and just releasing everything and just being like, I am a different person for the night. And this is awesome. And I get paid for it. This is amazing. And so there are other little things that I do. Like I write from time to time and I video game sometimes. But my big things are spending time with my cat and not checking checking email on weekends and doing drag so do you have a go-to number for your drag persona i do not have a go-to yeah. number honestly but because of my identity as a as a person of color i try to stick with mainly artists of color mm -hmm. and so typically i do bruno mars chris brown um i do a little bit of usher i do the weekend a lot mm -hmm. and then some trey songs also so but no i don't really have like a go-to yeah. number but i think my go-to artist artists are the weekend and bruno mars mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i bet bruno mars is so much fun to lip sync to Oh, it's so much fun. And I, I'm, I'm black and Filipino, mm -hmm. and so is he. And so I get up there, and I'm like, I am Bruno yeah. Mars. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Oh, gosh, man. Wow. It's so much fun. We are. I think we are about at the end of our time. This has been so much fun. I appreciate you sharing your story, sharing your narratives, sharing everything about you. I think it's really important considering – um, particularly ACPA strategic imperative for the race, racial justice and decolonization and, and how, mm -hmm. um, and how, you know, all, all systems of, of oppression are linked. Um, and, right. um, you know, with the associations, uh, focus on, you know, looking at, uh, racial justice and decolonization as, as you know in some cases a root you know of, mm -hmm. of of all of that and that and that by looking at that we can address all other systems you know all other systems of oppression and so um right. i want to thank you for 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 joining us and and uh mm -hmm. for uh putting up with uh some of our uh technology problems <laughs> <laughs> I work in IT. Trust me. I understand. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And, um, oh, how can people connect with you if, if they if they have any interest in, in connecting with you? 
Oh, sure. Definitely. I would love to be connected. I love doing stuff like this, just like talking about my identities. I'm also very like sex positive and things like that. So if you ever want to discuss anything along those lines, um, people are more than welcome to contact me via email. Um, email is the best way to contact me because I am always on it um, and it is connected to my phone and I'm always on my phone. So uh, my email address is just my first name dot my last name. So it's Ariel, A-R-I-E-L-L-E dot Clark, C-L-A-R-K at louisville.edu i am also on almost all major social media so i am on facebook facebook would be best and then i'm also on instagram and twitter but email is probably definitely the best and i'm always more than happy to participate in these kinds of things perfect well again thank you so much we can't thank you enough thank you so much i appreciate it have a great time Bye. bye